Today's scripture reading comes from Luke 10, 25 through 37. I encourage you to follow along in your Bible if you have one. If you don't own a Bible, we would love to give you one. We have some as you exit these doors. Uh, you can jump out now and grab one or uh, on your way out this morning as a gift to you. Again, Luke 10, 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when, you, when I come back. Which of, these three, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, good morning, uh, Christ community. Good to see you all. Uh, my name is Reed. If I have not met you, uh, it is a joy to be here with you this morning. And uh, as Robin shared and greeted you, we'd love to get to know you and meet you and greet you at our welcome table out in the lobby. Um, but it is a joy to be here as we open God's word. And, and even as we heard uh, the scripture read from, from Patrick this morning, that Odds are, wh whether this is your first time in church or whether you have uh, developed an, an addictive, uh, you know, habit to eating donut holes because you're here every Sunday, uh, odds are we, we are familiar with this story because, I mean, even the, the term Good Samaritan is such a synonym in our culture for benevolence, philanthropy, altruism. And so even if you've never even heard the story read, you're probably familiar to some degree. And, and, and there's probably some of us who still find the story very compelling and very convicting, and yet there's also some of us that I'm sure find this story rather tired. They're like, yeah, yeah, we, we know this. Like some of you perhaps have already even checked out because you know where this is going. Like I've read this, I've heard it read, I've heard sermons preached on it, I've seen puppets reenact the story, I get it, I know where this is going. Uh, but, but even if that's us, if, if that you, if that describes you, there's still the question of like, but do we... Do we do this? Do we actually love our neighbors? Do we heed the words of Jesus who says, go and do likewise? If we're honest with ourselves that there seems to be a disconnect between hearing this kind of story on Sunday and the way in which we emulate it or live it out in our Monday life. And the question is, why is that? Why is there a gap? Why is there a disconnect between hearing the story on Sunday and living it out on Monday. 
And, and it's this kind of question that we've been kind of wrestling through in our series, Church for Monday. If you're new, if this is your first Sunday, we've been in this series that we call Church for Monday as we're asking the question, what does it look like for a disciple, a follower of Jesus, who is ready to enter into all of life following him in all things, in all places, with all people at all times? And we've been asking this question by looking at uh, what we refer to our seven marks of discipleship. The, the, a mark of, of a disciple is, is these descriptions of, of one who takes up their cross to follow Jesus, one who puts on the yoke and who is now guided and directed by Jesus above all people, above all things, that a disciple who is ready to enter into their Monday life also builds their life on the Bible. And last week, as Nathan shared with us, a disciple who's ready for Monday loves the local church, now this morning we turn to these last we begin our turn to the last three marks in this series. As we see the focus is now kind of turning outward of how we see what it means for us as followers of Jesus to love our city and the city is really a metaphor we use at Christ community to describe our neighbors both locally and globally. As we seek to be a church who is not just for those within these walls, but we want to be a church for all people. And so what does it look like for us to be this kind of church as we scatter into all the places God has for us? What does it look like to love our neighbors well, to care for our coworkers, to know our classmates, to love and serve them sacrificially? Well, this morning we turn to this fifth mark that is basically described in this way, that a disciple who is ready for Monday gives themselves away. A disciple who is ready for Monday has this fundamental posture of giving themselves away, that, that by being radically transformed by the grace of Jesus, we now, as a follower of Jesus, if that identifies you, if you identify in that way, you now live a generous life in all things, that you now see your time and your talents and your treasures and everything about you through the lens of generosity and service for the good of others. Not because this is now mandated and we must do this, but it is an overflow, an outpouring of the grace we've received through Jesus Christ. But if we are to live into this mark, one of the things that we have to see is that when we understand what it means to love our neighbors, it's not on Sunday where our neighborly love is manifested the most. I mean, yes, we, we should do that. We should love one another in this place. Absolutely. That's, that's what we focused on last week. But, but Sunday is not where our neighborly love is manifested the most. Sunday is not where we practice sacrificial service for the sake of others the most. Sunday is not where we give ourselves away. It is on Monday. And so this morning, what I want us to look at is this, this, this general idea that Monday, Monday is where our love takes shape. Monday is where our love takes shape. As we seek to be a people marked by this story... Monday is the place where our love takes shape. And so before we jump into the story, I want to pray for our time uh, as we hear from God through his word. So let's take a moment to ask for his blessing and the teaching of his word. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we come to you asking, Lord, that, Lord, that what we know not would you, would you teach us. What we see not would you show us. And, and who we are not, Lord, would you make us that we might more effectively, more faithfully and fruitfully follow you in all of life as people who, marked by your great grace and generosity towards us, live lives of love and service and generosity towards others. Lord, would this be true of us as your people? 
Would you bless the teaching of your word in this time? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So, Luke chapter 10, uh, this parable that, that many of us are familiar with uh, is preceded by an interaction between Jesus and a lawyer. And it's not an attorney, uh, but rather a lawyer that's, that's referred to in the New Testament was an expert in the Mosaic law. It was someone who knew the Old Testament law inside and out. And, and this lawyer who Jesus is kind of di- di- uh, dialoguing with uh, isn't really interested in learning from Jesus, is really just trying to kind of flex his mosaic muscles, so to speak, to try to show off what he knows. He's trying to trap Jesus and test him. But then the, the lawyer asks Jesus this question that sparks the parable. The question is, who is my neighbor? And and this question is coming not from a place of sincere, genuine interest or compassion, but rather the lawyer is wanting to, so to speak, create a small neighborhood for himself. He wants to have a very short list of who his neighbors are so that he knows who he can love and maybe more importantly, who he does not need to love. He wants to live within a, a gated community, so to speak. He wants a short list of people who he is expected to love, care for, and look out for. But Jesus, showing compassion to this man actually, speaks and shares this parable as a way to widen the scope of neighborly love that this lawyer has. And he does so by beginning with these words of this parable. In verse 30, Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, Jesus goes on to tell us that the first two people to come across this man, this victim of injustice, are basically two uh, religious people. You have a priest and a Levite. And, And Jesus is very clear in saying that they went out of their way. They went to the other side of the road. They saw him on the side of the road, but they went to the other side to avoid caring for him. So not only did they not care for him, they went out of their way to get out of the way of helping. And so not a good reflection on, on the, the priest or the Levite. And, and, you know, in their defense, you know, the, the road from Jericho to Jerusalem was, was very treacherous. Uh, you descend about 3,000 feet in, ele- uh, in elevation. Uh, it was very conducive for attacks. And so this is not an uncommon event. But, but they're probably also thinking, well, this man might be dead, and according to the Mosaic law, I can't touch someone who's dead. And so, so they're probably thinking and justifying their actions through religious mindsets. And, and we all do this to some degree. We all have some justification for inactivity, for excusing ourselves from caring for someone, whether it is someone on the road, literally, or whether it's someone that we share a house with. It's someone we share a desk with. Like, we all find ways of justifying either our inactivity at best or possibly even our disdain for people in need at worst. It may be manifested in in thoughts or questions or phrases that say, like, "Well, well, he only has himself to blame. Or, well, if she would just work harder, she wouldn't be in this mess. Or, someone else will come along, surely, and provide for this person's needs. And, and I, I say this not to anger us or to guilt us, but rather that we would, be, we would be aware of the fact that we all do have ways of justifying our inactivity, justifying our, our reasons of suspending compassion towards others in times of need. And, and I think we should face these and, and, and repent of them so that we might align our hearts with God's heart, 
that we might love the things that God loves, and so that we might be able to have the eyes of Jesus as we interact with the people we find ourselves in relationship with on Monday, which is exactly what happens next in the story as Jesus introduces us to the unlikely hero. And it undoubtedly came as a huge shock to the lawyer as he came to find out who the hero was. Look at verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, you see, Samaritans and Jews did not uh, play well on the playground. That's just one nice way of saying it. They, they hated each other. They despised one another. It was public policy of the nation of Israel to, to have no dealings with the, the Samaritan dogs, which was a common uh, racial slur that was used among, uh, towards the Samaritans among the Jewish people. And so this lawyer, who's probably expecting, okay, I've, I've heard this, like, this story before, uh, a priest and then a Levite, yeah, I, I know this joke, and he's expecting the third person to actually be a Jewish lay person. But instead, Jesus flips the script and says, no, it's a Samaritan, a, a, a person who is despised by the Jews. This is now the hero of the story. And Jesus was, was aware of this. He knew that this would be a shocking thing to be said to the lawyer, that the Samaritan would be the one to show compassion to this man in need. I mean, I think if Jesus were to tell this in, in like more modern times, like if, we, if we're in the, the Wild West, it might be a story about, uh, about a Native American caring for a cowboy who had been shot in the back. Or if we were to tell it today, I mean, you might, be, you might have this a modern parable of saying a, a man who is leaving a build-the-wall rally is uh, attacked and beaten by protesters, and the only person who cares to stop and look for him is, and look after his needs is an undocumented immigrant. I, I don't say that to make a political statement, but rather to say that what Jesus is saying here is to try to create a shock so that we might step back and say, do I have a wide enough understanding of what neighborly love is and who my neighbor is. The shock that Jesus is trying to create is not simply to be shocking, but to help us to pause and step back and ask the question, is my understanding of neighborly love wide enough? Now, as we pause to bring this kind of into frame uh, in, in the context of our Monday life, what I want us to see here is that when we think about what it means that our, our love takes shape on Monday, the first thing I want us to see from this parable is that Monday love requires, first, compassionate eyes. If we're to be a people who give ourselves away for the sake of others, what we see in this parable is that it requires that we have compassionate eyes. The Samaritan, just like the priest and just like the Levite, saw this man in need. But while the Levite and the priest saw him and their vision of this man led to their distancing, the Samaritan saw this man and it drew him closer. He saw him with not just eyes, but with eyes of compassion that compelled him to draw near. And so as we think about the, the proverbial road to Jericho that all of us drive on or walk on in our Monday life, as we encounter and interact with and cross the paths of various people, do we have the same kind of compassionate eyes that look past superficial categories in order to see the inherent worth of all people? And, and I'm not just talking about like actual, like a man on the side of the road, although that, that is part of this, but we all have people that we interact with and see and walk right past, whether it's in our school, our place of work, our neighborhood or community, 
Do we have the same kind of compassionate eyes that refuse to let prejudice and and partisan politics determine who we should like and spend time with, who we should care for? Do we have eyes of compassion that have a clear peripheral vision, if you will? You know, your peripheral vision, it's it's the vision on on the periphery, your edges. You know, as you see things you're focusing in on, you see them clearly, but the things on the edges you don't see as clearly. I think what Jesus is calling us to is a neighborly love that has a greater focus and clarity on the peripheral side of things. Do we have the ability to see those that are pushed to the periphery, pushed to the margins, those that are pushed to the margins in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our places of work? And regardless of who has pushed them there, do we see them or do we walk past them? Whether these, these people who have been pushed to the periphery, whether they live across the street, across the town, across the border, whether, whether you share a bedroom or a classroom or a conference room with them, whether they worship here or somewhere else or nowhere, do we have compassionate eyes to see people and to see them as God sees them, to see them as people with inherent worth because they have been made in His image? Do we see the people we interact with on our proverbial Jericho Road with a perspective that says you are to be loved and cherished and cared for and defended and known and seen? So as we enter into our Monday life where our love takes shape, the question is will we enter in with a greater peripheral vision? Yes, we should love the neighbors who are right in front of us, who our focus is clearly on, But I think what Jesus is calling us to is to have a wider vision, to bring clarity to our peripheral vision as we think about our neighborly love. So Monday love requires compassionate eyes, but but let's return to the story and see where Jesus takes us. We see in verse 34, actually backing up the end of of verse 33, and he he saw him and had compassion, and he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Now, when Jesus said that the Samaritan had compassion, it means that his heart made his hands and feet move. That's really what this means, is that it's not just that he was stirred with affection and and he felt a sense of conviction and guilt, but rather this compassion is the kind of compassion that results in, it must result in action. You see, it's, uh, our, our English translations, we, you see the word compassion quite a bit in the New Testament, but there's actually multiple words that we translate as just compassion that have deeper meanings. And, and this particular word, this particular version of compassion always, always requires action. It's the same compassion we see later on in, in, in Luke when, G, uh, when Jesus tells the parable of the prodigal son, that the father had compassion and he, it compelled him to run after his son. In the same way, this Samaritan sees this man on the road and his compassion, the compassion of his eyes led to his hands and feet moving towards him to care for him in his time of need. If you think about it like this, like, you know, if you have a heart rate monitor, like on your watch or a device that you have, your heart rate monitor is useless unless you're moving, you know, unless your heart is beating. In the same way, our compassion is useless unless we are moving. Compassion, just like a human heart, if it is not moving, if it is not beating, it's dead. It's not enough for us to simply feel something towards someone in need. 
What Jesus is telling us is that our neighborly love must call us to action. Which leads to the second point that that our Monday love, yes, it requires compassionate eyes. We have to see our neighbors with a new perspective, but it also means we must have open hands. That our compassion towards our neighbors must result in us loving them tangibly through action. I mean, look at all the ways that the Samaritan loves this stranger. I mean, he, he, he has the knowledge and the ability to know that, that his wine can be used as an antiseptic for his wounds, that the oil, the olive oil that he has can be used as an anti-inflammatory during this time. Like, like he has a significant knowledge that he uses to care for this man in need. He also inconveniences himself by putting the man on his own animal. So he now has to journey the road to Jericho without his animal. So now he's even more inconvenienced and he has to make the journey with less wine and oil because he used it on this stranger. He doesn't have it to nourish him. But what's even more amazing that I find in this story is the way in which this Samaritan sacrificed what we might refer to as the greatest commodity in our culture, namely time. He suspended his plans. He threw out his agenda that that truly messed up his plan for several days in order to make sure this guy got what he needed. Not just so that he got crisis care, but so that he could get back to a place of independence and flourishing. Perhaps one of the things that keeps you and I from connecting this story we hear on Sunday to the way in which we live on Monday, perhaps the barrier is actually our hurried lives and our busy schedules. Perhaps when we think about our our schedules and the things that we fill our time with, It's not only creating the the, the hurried busyness that just unmakes us in so many ways, but it also keeps us from being neighbors who love well. There was a a study that was conducted in the 70s at uh, Princeton University uh, to try to find out why it is that people don't care for people in times of need. What what are some of the reasons, the factors? Is it it philosophical? Is it religious? What, What are the motivators and in this, this experiment, it's really fascinating, maybe you've heard it, uh, they took some seminary students and they, they, they got them together and they said, you, you have so, uh, about a week or so to prepare a message on a biblical text and then you're going to give it at a lecture hall on campus. And so as the day that the lecture was to be given, as it arrived, the students showed up and some students were told, um, you have plenty of time, uh, the, the location's been moved, it's at this lecture hall across campus, you have plenty of time, just get there and it'll be great. Other students were told, you're late, Uh, the location changed last minute, you've got to get there, you're already behind, hurry. All the students on their journey to the lecture hall, at different times, mind you, um, crossed the path of a man, a staged man who was hunched over on the ground. And, And it was clearly in some kind of need. And what the study concluded is that 63% of those who were not busy, who were said, you're, you're, you have plenty of time, only 63% stopped to check on the man, which is not very high, like 63%, like, the, like that's a passing grade. Some of you are like, I would have wished for 63% in high school. But the people who were in a hurry, only 10% stopped to check on him. And the only difference was that they were in a hurry. The conductors of the experiment concluded this, ethics becomes a luxury as the speed of our daily lives increases. Ethics becomes a luxury as the speed of our daily lives increases. 
We, we don't have time to care for people or meet their needs or express neighborly love when we're busy and we're hurried. And you know what makes this study even more intriguing? Do you know what the text, the biblical text was that they were preparing their message on? The Good Samaritan from Luke chapter 10. Ouch, you know? I mean, seriously, like, like, like they're, they're immersed in this story and they walk right past. Is it possible that this is one of our greatest barriers to loving people well? And if that's true, then what, what the implications that this has for us is that time management is not just a practice about increasing productivity and efficiency, but time management is, in many ways, dare I say it, a, an act of spiritual formation. It, it is an act of increasing our ability to extend neighborly love. Is it possible that this barrier is what keeps us from being the church scattered who loves our neighbors well with compassionate eyes and open hands? So again, let me pause here and and let's put this in the context of our Monday life. As you think about the place where you spend the majority of your time, are there people in your context who could benefit from from your knowledge, your skill set, your time How is God calling you to steward these resources to bless others, to improve them in their sphere of influence? Whether it's through your work that's paid or unpaid, whether it's a classmate of yours who's struggling in a field of study that you are really good at, is there someone in your Monday life who can benefit from your time, your skill, your knowledge? Who in your neighborhood, your place of work, your school, can be blessed by the resources you have? Who is someone that you need to sacrifice time for in order to know them, to listen to them, to understand their story, to appreciate them, perhaps to even engage in conversation about your faith? Who is someone that you can rearrange your schedule for, to sit down with, to know, to care for? So if we are to be a people who give ourselves away, if this is what we want to be marked by, it requires that we have compassionate eyes to see people in a new way. It requires open hands. But as the story continues, Jesus points to one more posture, and we see it in verse 35. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now the Samaritan... The Samaritan gave himself away for the sake of his neighbor. Yes, in tangible ways, he saw him, he was compelled to action, he cared for his immediate needs, but notice that he doesn't just stop at crisis care. He provides resources for him to get back to a place of independence and flourishing, and he does so by stewarding his financial resources wisely. I mean, imagine how this story, I mean, like, because he, take, he takes two denarii, just so you know, that's, that, that amount of money was enough to provide housing at this end for up to two months, roughly. I mean, that's, that's a chunk of change, people, for someone to shell out for a total stranger who your neighboring people refer to as a dog. Now, just, I mean, think about how this story would have ended if, if the, the Samaritan were not able to be generous with his financial resources, I mean, his extravagant love and his costly compassion came from, yes, his compassionate eyes, his open hands, but also his generous heart. And this is the third description of of, of what is required for us to love well on Monday. But just imagine how the story would have ended if, if the Samaritan didn't steward his financial resources to get this man to a place of flourishing and independence. 
Or imagine if, if he had unwisely used his money, and so he wasn't able to have capacity to care for him in this moment of need. It would look very different. Yes, we need compassionate eyes and open hands, but there's also a, a sense in which we must be willing to generously steward the resources God has given us that we might be compassionate when the need arises. Our senior pastor, Tom Nelson, he, he wrote a book called The Economics of Neighborly Love. And it's a great book. Uh, I don't get paid for recommending it, but it is really a phenomenal book. But, but Tom says this, in understanding compassion and capacity in this regard, he says this, if we have compassion without capacity, referring to both our financial resources and our time, if we have compassion without capacity, we have frustration. You want to do something, but you don't have the, the capability or the means to do it. If we have capacity without compassion, we have human alienation. But if we have compassion and capacity, we have human transformation. We have neighborly love. You see, this way of thinking about our financial resources and, and, and our jobs for that matter as well, the places where we spend the majority of our time, this is a paradigm shift. That, that what we do with the majority of our time is not purely for our own compensation, although it is that, but it is now to be seen through this lens of contribution, of an opportunity to bless others, to, to promote human flourishing, to advance the mission of God in the world. Those who follow Jesus and who have been radically transformed by the generosity of God in giving his son for us now see everything through this lens. Everything we have and everything we are is now seen through the lens of giving ourselves away for the sake of others and the glory of Christ. When we are moved by the gracious and generous love of Jesus, when we enter into Monday with this mindset, desiring to give ourselves away with, with compassionate eyes, open hands, and generous hearts, there's no telling what the church can do, not just as a gathered people, but as a scattered community in all the places God has sent us. What does it look like when our sacrificial love takes shape on Monday? I think it looks a little bit like our brother Steve. Take a look. I'm Steve Brown, and uh, we have been part of Christ community for over 30 years. About six years ago, a good buddy of mine, uh, John Emanuels, he and his partner had asked me if, if uh, I'd be willing to come over and help set up a company for them. I had no idea how to do that, uh, but we jumped in together right after the holidays, and uh, six months later, in July of 2013, launched an entity called Axiom Property Management. The thought of starting this wasn't just so much uh, for what it needed to be from an economic engine, which it is, but to do it in a way that would be God-honoring and uh, to have an opportunity to um, impact uh, the residents, uh, which the properties that we own, and um, the associates that work for us. Yeah, I think if you had asked me you know, seven years ago, uh, who to pray for at work. I might have struggled thinking through who to pray for. Well, I can rattle off a list of 40 people now that uh, we, we get together once a month uh, and pray for our associates. The properties that we take over are, uh, they're older, they've been neglected often by the owners. So all that, I think, is part of just peeling, peeling back some of the darkness too, just in the sense of taking a property that is neglected and making it better so that the community around that property also sees a little bit of God light as well. 
last spring I was over here and we'd had a, a young high school student <clears throat> commit suicide. And when I left the property, I just thought, man, this is just, it's just a lot of darkness here. And uh, I didn't know where, uh, I knew we had a campus in Shawnee. And so I reached out to the campus pastor and just wanted to know if there's any way that uh, there could be some partnership and then took a drive to look at the campuses that we, the, the properties that we own in the Shawnee area and just to dream a little bit about what that partnership could look like. From that, uh, we made a decision uh, for the summer to, uh, to do several cookouts. We felt that um, this would be a great way to, to make a difference at the property would be to let's well, just serve some meals. There's no agenda, there's no, nothing other than we're gonna set up and serve for you and uh, have uh, a chance for you to uh, get to know us and for Christ community to come onto the, the property and begin to develop some relationships. Again, you look at the Shawnee area and you drive where we're at, I mean, there's some, you wouldn't perceive that there's needs around here. And yet, behind these walls, there's lots of needs. And then now as we've uh, come to the, the point of, uh, you decide that we're gonna have a, have a physical facility for Christ community in the area, it's just a stone's throw from where the property's at. So it just was, to me, just a God moment in terms of uh, that call, what you had to share, it's like, here we go. I don't think that's just by happen chance. I'm sure God had a plan in, in directing hearts and minds in a certain way. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, that, that's, that's just a small picture of what we mean when we talk about the church at work. The church is a scattered people in the places that God has sent us to, to shine, as, as Steve said, God light in, in broken, dark places. And here's the thing. All of us go somewhere tomorrow where there's darkness, where there's brokenness, where there's hurt, where there's isolation and loneliness. What does it look like for us to go to these places, to walk this proverbial Jericho road with a perspective that says, I want to give myself away for the sake of my neighbors? So, so as, we, as we think about this, let me offer us just three things to consider as we seek to live into this mark of giving ourselves away, of having compassionate eyes, open hands, and generous hearts. The first is this, is that we need to see our neighbors. We need to see our neighbors. And, and one just very simple thing I would encourage you to do this week is to learn the name of one neighbor, coworker, classmate of yours that, that you just don't know. I mean, if, if we want to see our neighbors, we, we have to know them. We have to begin with relationship. That could be the simplest thing, and maybe the most profound thing you do this week is to let someone know that they are seen, that they are known by you. And, and how can we begin to see people through the lens that Jesus sees, that seeing people as image bearers of God who, who possess inherent worth? Another thing you could do in terms of seeing our neighbors, one thing one of our outreach partners does, Mission Southside, they do something called a, a windshield tour. And you can sign up to do this with, with some friends or family or a community group, and they will drive you through all of the various parts of Olathe where they do ministry with various churches and, and apartment complexes. And they'll share the stories of the families there, what has brought them there. And, and yes, they'll share stories of brokenness and darkness there, but also stories of hope and transformation Neighborhoods that we drive by, apartment complexes that we don't even think about, and we see stories of God redeeming these communities. So that could be a great way to see our neighbors. Second, 
We need to sacrifice our comfort. We need to be willing to sacrifice our comfort. And part of what that means is being, being willing to suspend and alter our agenda, our schedules, so that someone else might benefit from our time, from our resources, our knowledge and skills. Who is someone that you can give your time to this week so that you can sit down with them and know them better, to understand their story? It may be someone you work with who's, who's struggling in their field of work. How can you encourage them, support them in that way? It may be a, a classmate, as I mentioned, who's struggling in a, in, a, in, a, in a class that you are really good at. Who are people you can suspend your time for? It may be even being willing to, to join in some of the work of our outreach partners. Like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change my schedule, and I'm going to make time so I could be an ESL partner with Mission Southside and, and caring for some of the immigrants in our community. Or, or, or it's working with uh, uh, being a mentor at Woodland uh, or working with all the various initiatives that, that Youth Front has. There's some great work they're doing in the Argentine district of Kansas City. If you'd like to learn more about this, you can check out our out, outreach page on our website. There's a lot of information and next steps and people to contact if you want to find out ways to carve out margin to serve and care for those in need. So we do. We need to see our neighbors. We need to sacrifice comfort. And then thirdly, we need to steward our resources well. The, the part of what it means to, to be generous and compassionate is to have that kind of capacity to do so. And, and so for you, some of you, it may be signing up for Financial Peace University. We're offering that, as, as Robin mentioned in the announcements, that, uh, that starts March 20th. This is a great class to learn how to develop a budget and a plan for your money to reduce debt, to increase your capacity so that you might be generous towards others. Uh, another thing I'd recommend, I mentioned Tom's book, The Economics of Neighborly Love. If, if you are kind of looking for the two, 201, uh, that might be a great resource. We have a few copies out on the welcome table. If you'll read it, you're welcome to grab one. Uh, we'll have some extra ones next week if we run out. But, uh, and then the last thing I would say is, is be, be generous. Give. I mean, be, be a part of what God is doing through Christ's community as you share in and as, as you give of your generous uh, uh, gifts and offerings to Christ's community. Join us in the work of multiplying churches and disciples and leaders. Join us as we try to provide permanent homes for Shawnee and downtown so that strangers who, are, who have been far from God can be brought near. Be a part of what God is doing. And as we say here a lot, we, when we talk about generosity, it is not about something we want from you. It is something we want for you. So these are a few things just to consider as we step into Monday being more willing to give ourselves away. And the reason we do this, and I'll close with this, the reason we do this is not because this story of the Good Samaritan is so motivating and compelling and convicting, although it is that. The reason we do this is because the story of the Good Samaritan is really the story of the Good Savior. It is the story of, of Jesus, who when, when he found us in our helpless, broken, hopeless state, when we had no ability to care for ourselves, when we rebelled against him and considered him our enemy, he saw us with compassionate eyes and drew near to us. And that he, he loved us so much so that he was willing to give his own life for us. That by opening his hands wide and being pierced for our sins, his wounds mended our wounds. And his generous heart that continues to be outpoured upon us through the Spirit, builds us up into new life now. It is this truth and this story that shapes us as a people and what it convinces us and compels us to give ourselves away. And so if you want your, your Monday life to be a, a place where love can be expressed in radical and sacrificial ways and have an impact on the communities you have been sent to, 
then would you choose to follow the one who gave himself up for you? If we want to give ourselves away, it requires trusting in and following the one who gave himself for us. May this be the story that shapes us and forms us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you asking, Lord, that you would show us the depth of your grace towards us. How, how, how generous you have been towards us as a people who have rebelled against you, who have deserved nothing but judgment, and yet, Lord, while we were still sinners, you died for us. Lord, may the, the, magnificent, the magnificence and the extravagance of your love towards us compel us to be a people who have compassionate eyes, open hands, and generous hearts towards those in relationships you've sent us to. Lord, give us a peripheral vision of neighborly love. May we enter into our Monday life seeing our neighbors afresh and being willing and able to love them in light of the love that you have shown us. We pray this, Lord, in the name of Christ Jesus and for his glory. Amen.